21CL Radio. You're listening to the Run Your Life podcast with host Andy Vassar. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Four Times Mindfulness uh, podcast with Neela Steele and myself. And this is one of those special episodes. We've done this a few times where we, we have had a guest on the show um, to include in the discussion of, of mindfulness and meditation or whatever mindfulness and meditation means. And um, our guest today is Mark Church, a visiting consultant at uh, the school here. Um, and Mark connected, uh, Mark, Neil, and I connected the last time you were here, which was November, right? That's right. Yeah. And uh, we kind of shared our love of mindfulness and started some discussions that we had, um, you know, in between sessions that you were running for our staff. Uh, but it's great to have you back here, and, and uh, it's uh, we're both really happy to have you on the podcast itself. So can you give a little glimpse into the work that you do and um, anything else you want the listeners to know? Yeah, sure. Thank you for... Thank you both for inviting me to be a part of this conversation. I feel honored. Um, so the work that I do, I'm co-author of a book called Making Thinking Visible. And, and Making Thinking Visible is a research project at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, um, uh, an institution there called Project Zero. And there are principal investigators and people who work at Project Zero, and then people like myself who work on various projects uh, with those folks. And... Um, I used to be a teacher, and now I guess the best way I can describe what I do is I get to spend time teaching teachers and helping people think a lot about what does it mean to pay attention to uh, students and who students become as thinkers as a result of our stewardship. Mm -hmm. So whereas other people might help teachers think about the teaching and learning of science and the science standards, let's say. Um, our project really is very interested in what kind of thinking habits do we really dream of for kids and how do schools become places that pay attention to that. And what path, like describe the path, because you say you were a teacher, but describe the path that led you to this ongoing journey because it's a journey that continues on to this very day. So what path led you to do this work? That's a great question. Um, what path, what paths, in the plural sense, maybe. Um, you know, I, I did start out as a primary school teacher. Um, and I, I thought a lot about teaching was just, you know, making a class fun and active and engaged. Um, I'm not anti those things now, but at that time, I think in my naivety, I just think, if I make my lessons fun and if kids are happy and we're laughing and then of course we're going to love to read and love to do mathematics. And, um, I think the more I got into teaching, I realized there's a lot of complexity there. And sometimes I think about like helping somebody else learn is, is actually a rather audacious undertaking. 
Was that something that was with you even before going to university as a high school student moving into university? Well, I grew up in a family of educators. Yeah. Um, so teaching wasn't a far reach in terms of like going into that as a profession. But I really did think that teaching was a matter of just, uh, you know, delivering lessons and making sure it was engaged. And I think the more I got into it, the more fascinated I became uh, about not what I'm teaching, but who's in front of me. Watching elementary school students, watching middle school students, high school students put together understanding of ideas is just a fascinating thing. And so, and then what role can I play to help steward that, shepherd that, grow that? Um, and so the complexity of that just really enticed me. And then I just wound up connecting with other people who were fascinated about kids as learners and how people learn in general. And then that led me into kind of the ongoing collaboration with Project Zero researchers. And here I am today, really helping other teachers who are interested in kids as thinkers, not just work completers. So the idea that uh, when opportunity knocks, um, this expression that opportunity uh, happens just once or, you know, but it sounds like you had lots of doors open to you and you just kind of walk through and, and, and really took the risk to, you know, share your work and, and do the things that you love and put your work out there. You know, I think there are a lot of um, opportunities that kind of opened up. And so that's the universe conspiring, perhaps, to make some things happen. At the same time, I also think about some of the defining people along the way. You know, I once was teaching fifth grade. This was, I had gotten into the career and I'd been teaching, you know, at that point, five, six years. But I just remember teaching in fifth grade with another colleague who came in new to the school. And um, people might say she was rather terse or serious or whatnot, but she was a gift to me because really in my ongoing conversation with this uh, colleague who's also a very close personal friend to this day, she would ask big questions like, well, why are we doing that? What, what opportunities does that really create for the kids? Um, she really would question everything. Um, and I needed that um, because it helped me kind of come out of, oh, this is how it has to be, to really dwelling in possibilities. And so I think about opportunities that are presented, but also I think about people who have come along my pathway to just ask just the right question at just the right time or point out something mm -hmm. that I never would have thought of otherwise. And I think that's, um, and maybe just on the personal front, I, I guess I never felt threatened by that. In fact, I, I really did even then feel like that that was a gift. And I yeah. still look at that. So That's excellent. Um, Neela Steele, um, do you want to just say a, a couple words about what's happening over the past few weeks with you? Over the past few weeks? Yeah. Um, well... I feel that uh, we're back into schedule after um, Christmas holidays and uh, I think you and I are just working on being healthy, trying to balance work, trying to balance being parents and family and really just settling into our life here at Coast, yeah. which, which to some might appear quite simple or even boring but I was just telling Mark when I picked him up in the golf cart tonight which maxes out at 30k <laughs> I that... needed a seatbelt <laughs> I wanted to know what the seatbelt was that 
I'm enjoying the the no traffic, no commute. Um, it's really such a unique place, Kaust, living here. Yeah, definitely. And we just, Mark, we just recorded our 17th episode of Four Times Mindfulness last week. We had had a huge gap between episodes. But as Neela said, it's kind of a passion project of ours. So to give people some insight into what this episode or what the podcast is all about is that we we share uh, four seeds of mindfulness. So it's anything that inspires us or sticks with us or resonates in regards to living more mindfully. And living more mindfully obviously means different things to different people. So oftentimes Neela and I don't know what we're going to talk about in the episode. And then we just have kind of a discussion about it. So it's great to have you on the show. You're going to share two seeds today of mindfulness. You'll start with the first one and then Neela will share one. I'll share one and we'll return back to you for the last seed of mindfulness before we put you in the hot seat for the speed round. I'm ready. Okay. And, and truly, I think it's an honor to, if, uh, if anyone else gets something from our conversation, great, but I know I'm going to get something from Excellent. it. So thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, no, it's great to have you on. So you're going to open up the show with the first seat of mindfulness. So the floor is now yours, Mark Church. Uh, the floor is mine and mindfulness. And I think, oh, mindfulness. Um, how can I do mindfulness? How can I do mindfulness more in my life? Um, and um, I, I wonder if that's not the right, right way to frame it. Do I do mindfulness or is mindfulness something that... Uh, I take a stance towards. I've been thinking about that a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I get Mindful Magazine and uh, I've read, you know, John Cabot Zen. And I also know that when I'm in the habit, the habit of starting my morning in a quiet space um, rather than just jumping to the phone or getting the kettle on for the coffee, but really spending some time in that quiet space, I always know I feel um, just better, feel more grounded. Can really hear my breath. At the same time, I know I feel that I have these good feelings about that. Um, it just helps set tone. But then, if I know these things are good, then what gets in the way? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why is that a habit that just uh, is easily lost when I'm jumping up and running off to school for the next uh, engagement with whatever school mm-hmm. group I'm working with in that moment? So I, I, I just think, like, what gets in the way of mindfulness? Maybe it is the framing. I think about mindfulness as doing these things as opposed to mindfulness as a way of being. Mm-hmm. And I've just been puzzling about that recently. So just the idea of, and again, it's like when we're trying to establish routines in our, in our lives, and you're a great example of this because you have recently, just over the Christmas holidays, uh, embarked on a new kind of, um, how should we describe it? Well, paying, paying attention to my health and well-being, yeah. nutrition and right. fitness. And um, are, you're thinking along the lines of, if I can take a stance towards nourishing my body, if I can take a stance towards fitness, not as something I do, but something that is. Yeah. And um, could, with, I, could mindfulness be framed the same way? I, I think so, because it's that idea that you're going to hit obstacles in your journey. And I think in what you're describing is the obstacles that you face that slow you down or impede your path with living more mindfully. 
and it's easy to fall out of a pattern and we all know like neil and i i think are on day 28 or 29 of of uh, meditation so we meditate every morning together and we would go in spurts this is the longest that we've ever gone uh, consistently consistently um and it means so much to us but it's so easy to fall out of a pattern because of obstacles but that is the natural part of living more mindfully is is accepting these obstacles being aware of these obstacles and not judging ourselves when we experience these obstacles mm-hmm. that slow us down yeah i think it all begins with attention when you're not paying attention not then paying we attention. eat by default and how many times as educators do we say to kids pay attention but we don't explicitly say what what that is what that is how to train somebody to pay attention we just sort of say it so easily pay attention mark but it's like what what does that mean um and by paying attention and bringing awareness to our daily habits that's when i think the change begins and it be is a practice and you you make a declaration or you are devoted to do something whether it is eat mindfully walk mindfully take a break and go outside and notice because as you said earlier in our conversation that there is this addiction to our devices it's so easy to sit at a restaurant and feel uncomfortable maybe for people who don't like eating by themselves and just clue into the phone um you know we it, it it's a disservice to a pleasure in life a daily pleasure in life which is eating so you know how we nourish our bodies how we choose where the food has come from there's so much more on a deeper level to what we choose to eat how we feed our bodies um so for me it all begins with that attention and then the intention and then the energy that you want to drive towards that and when you don't choose and you're not aware then you keep on living by by default and I'm I'm not saying that in a preaching way. I I myself have many areas that I can uh polish and become better, but it starts with attention. Yeah. And so much in education is attention to who is in front of us. Yeah. Who are we speaking to? I th- I mean that's very helpful to, to hear you say that and you know remind ourselves of that. I, what something you're making me think about too is like okay, so having the capacity to be meditative having the capacity uh, to um, just listen in on your breath, having the capacity mm-hmm. to find quiet space or um, to just be in the moment. Capacity is one thing, but I wrote down, you know, having capacity, this is for myself and self-reflection here, having the capacity is one thing. Um, being aware of the moment when bringing that capacity out into action. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the gap sometimes that I know I struggle with. It's like, I've got the capacity to do it. I have the skill to do it. But the ability and the action sometimes can have this wide gap in between. And that's where I'm thinking, well, but if I looked at this not as something that I do, it's something I am. It's a disposition. Mm -hmm. It's a stance. Might that help me kind of close those moments where the ability and action gap is getting wider? Right. Might just... This is a stance. I'm looking at this as a way of nourishing myself mm-hmm. as opposed to did I do it or yes. not? Yes. 
So the practice yes. related to a so, purpose. So two things. I love the way that you reframe it. You, instead of I have to, it's I want to, or it's part of my identity. I am doing this for myself. And the way that we say that we want to do things, like if I wake up and I, I have to run or I should run, no, I want to get up. I want to move my body. I want to be able to move my body while I can. But not only the reframing, I was going to say that really mindfulness is such a simple concept, but the power lies in the way that we apply it and practice it daily over and over again, because it is the first thing to go when we are stressed and when we are busy and when we are not paying attention. So, Absolutely. And about you, she, uh, Neela uh, Steele has just used the word stress. And I'm going to save that for my second seat a little <laughs> bit later. Excellent. Um, Your turn, Neela. So we're going to transition over to the second seat of mindfulness with Neela Steele. So I am a yoga instructor and share yoga with the teachers every Monday. And this is something that I love to volunteer my time because I love taking care of teachers and I believe in teacher wellness. So a lot of what we do in yoga is body work. That is just becoming aware of how our bodies are, practicing gratitude for our bodies in their current states, not the state that we fantasize our bodies are going to be in, the current, current state. And my one seed of mindfulness tonight is to take one body part and aim to make an intention to just notice that one body part throughout the day. So I'm sort of stealing this idea from Andy Padakomi in the meditations that we do in the morning from Headspace, which is an amazing app. And uh, he mentions in it, you know, notice when you stand up, notice when you sit down, and, and notice when you're going upstairs or notice when you're walking down the hall. So I'm going to take, for example, my hands, and um, I did this last week where you, you're just aware of your hands throughout the day, little reminders. Um, the way that your hand might touch a cold doorknob and you turn the handle is just another teeny tiny moment to be mindful with the breath and just noticing, oh, cool temperature, hand touch, finger pads. The, the other thing, everything we do with our hands from, from writing, running our hands through our boy's hair, that ability to touch and feel. Um, one of the things I do sometimes in meetings is I look at the way that people use their hands when they speak or when they're listening. They're biting their nails or they're scratching their face. And the amount of time, not, not in a judging way, but we just use our hands so much and yet the only time we tend to notice our hands is when you have a hangnail or a paper cut. And Sla you're like, ah, your finger on the door. yeah, <laughs> you know, we, that's what it takes for us to go, yes, I have a functioning hand. So uh, for anyone who wants to try, take any body part, any body part. Uh, the other week I did ribs. I said, today I'm just going to be wearing my ribs. You know, sounds a little bit bizarre, but I, I breathed into my ribs. I stood a little bit taller. Um, 
anything at all, whatever resonates with you, take that one body part and just discover and explore how that feels for you throughout the day. So it's just another anchor to drop into. Yeah, which Awareness. is, is Padikomi from Headspace actually makes reference to that idea that it, it, it allows you to drop into the present moment when you bring awareness to to the body. So, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, something that resonated with me as you were talking, I was like, uh, you know, okay, uh, maybe kind of on a drive-by, oh, there's Neela talking about touching a cold door or the, the, the sensation of, you know... Uh, uh, petting a warm fuzzy dog hmm. but, but oh, or here's this lady talking about paying attention to ribs that's on a drive-by but if you really think okay but what is that really doing it's about maybe well it is awareness but I was also thinking about sensitivity of being in this moment mm-hmm. and, and he, so it, it's not the rib it's not yes. the hands it's the that is a, a space by which to cultivate the habit of sensitivity awareness presentness yeah yeah and we live from the neck up yeah. in our heads that's really powerful yeah mm-hmm. I, I, yeah now I'm now I'm very self-conscious about my hands we're all holding hands now. we're all can't holding see hands it. now I just folded my hands very politely because I was picking my ears no <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's very powerful because again it's 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 not the thing it's the thing behind the thing right though the thing itself gives a space to practice maybe that's the practice towards and the stance on a deeper which level too to which on a deeper level like Andy sort of uh, you used to bite your nails mm-hmm. right and that awareness has decreased the biting of the nails which is actually a sign of anxiety absolutely yeah so on the deeper level you start to say well why is it that i have this habit like i mean yeah the the whole scene of people biting on your nails looks very anxious yeah. so anyways. i'm gonna be aware of my eyebrows <laughs> that's my thing tomorrow tomorrow so, i'm gonna think about my eyebrows <laughs> oh that's good i love it <laughs> Or awareness of other people's eyebrows. Uh, that's a step too far. <laughs> and plus, that might make people think I'm creepy. So I'll start with my own eyebrows first. Uh, so that brings us to our third seat of mindfulness by Andy Vasley. Okay, so um, the third seat of mindfulness is something that we actually Neela talked about uh, in one of our first episodes. And it's stuck with me the last couple of weeks. And... Um, so I'm going to share it again, even though we shared it many, many episodes ago, because I think to me in the last couple of weeks, it's, it's constantly, I don't want to say played in, in my mind, but it's, it's made me aware of the importance of embracing moments and being present for moments. And oftentimes in our busy days, we can get so caught up in our own headspace and what we have to do next that we lose presence with, um, the great people around us and it's that idea that we're only one moment away you know and it could be one moment away from meeting somebody some absolute stranger that can make a difference in our life that can bring us some you know moment of insight or can make a difference or it's a, a one moment away from truly connecting with a student on a deeper level that can make a difference in their life and the work that we do and it's the story that Neela shared um, 
by Tara Brock. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Tara Brock. Yeah. So this story, when Neela told me this story and she told it on the podcast, I was like, oh my God, that's an amazing story. But um, she told the story of this uh, American uh, man who was in the military who had anger management issues and he had reoccurring run-ins with people that he worked with and he was reprimanded numerous times and he was told that he needed to get anger management classes and which directed him towards uh, mindfulness as a strategy for dealing with his anger management and anxiety. So he's going to these classes and he's feeling like he's getting a better grip on things and he's becoming more aware of, of being present and the importance of breath especially when he feels anxiety or feels he's going to get angry he's supposed to drop into the breath and it's actually working Um, so he is becoming more mindful but he still has tendencies to kind of blow it right Mm. so he's in a supermarket and he's already late for a meeting and he rushes through the supermarket and grabs some items and he runs to the to the checkout uh, which is the express lane and there's a woman ahead of him older woman holding a baby and uh, the cashier, you know, he's waiting in line. Then when the woman holding the baby gets up to the cashier, you know, they're looking at the baby, making googly eyes at the baby. And then the, the woman hands the baby over to the cashier. Now he's, he's fuming because he's in such a mad rush to get through his day that he and just... just going and on over this baby. Yeah, that he just, he just <laughs> wants to get past them. And he feels all those old uh, default settings of rage kicking in. And then he realizes, you know, hang on here. I'm I'm feeling this. I need to, like, tap into the breath. And then he actually looks at the baby and and says, that's a really cute baby. You know, wow. And he finds himself calming down. And then the cashier hands the baby back to the woman. And then the woman leaves. And then when he gets up to the cashier, he says, wow, that that was a really cute baby. And then the cashier says, yeah, that was, that's my baby. Uh, my mother looks after my baby. Uh, my husband was killed in Afghanistan last year. And uh, so my mom brings in the baby every day so I can, my daughter, so I can see her and spend some time with her. And right away, because he had dropped into the present moment, he was actually completely overwhelmed with these feelings Uh, I don't even know how to describe them, but he was overwhelmed with these feelings of being present and and uh, realized that he had almost missed that beautiful moment. And it was one of his first times where he's like, wow, mindfulness is really, really working. You know, it's allowing me to to really tap into these special moments that otherwise I would have missed. So, you know, Neela told the story you know, in our one of our first podcasts and it stuck with me but I was reminded of it a couple of weeks ago and it's just like going through your day A, being very uh, having a lot of gratitude for the great things around us but also opening yourself up to whatever might happen because it could potentially change your life it, right. can, it can pick you up when you're down whatever but if we're not present we can lose sight of that and we lose the ability 
to uh, tap into those wonderful moments. So that's my uh, third seat of mindfulness. It's beautiful. I remember listening to that story from Tara Brock, and it I just, like, whoa, I felt like a kick in the gut. Um, because I can connect with so many times I feel that I, I wasn't present. Um, and, and it's not meant to make somebody feel bad, but it's just a, another reminder that, um, what is the quote, you know, be kind to everybody for everybody is fighting sort of a b- battle. We have no idea. We have no idea how um, a little teeny tiny interaction can impact somebody else's day. And I think it takes us out of the me, 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 I, 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 my problem, and then and then realize, you know, this is somebody else's day. This is somebody else's Life, moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we just get so caught up with with our own little worlds. Yeah, something um, I, I often uh, uh, download some of the podcasts uh, from Tara Brock and, mm-hmm. and, and listen uh, when I'm on planes going from place to place. And, and, I, and I, I believe I recall that story now, but uh, there's something so powerful about that idea that you just brought up of embracing the moment. And it, I'm making a kind of an association I was thinking about, oh, back when I was teaching elementary school, I, I taught a lot of years in middle school, primarily mathematics, but I started out as an elementary teacher and I was really interested in writer's workshop, reader's writer's workshop, reading a lot of things from Lucy Calkins. Um, and I just remember something that she wrote, or maybe it was Shelley Harwain, who she used to work with. Um, you know, we're talking in the 90s. But they were talking about the power of narrative and the power of story and, and, and memoir and getting kids to even write it. Because there was a line in there, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing badly, but the association is, when we know other stories, it calls us out of ourselves to care. Mm. It takes us out of our script. And so there's something kind of interesting, I think, almost, almost like it feels an observation, uh, or excuse me, an opposition. Like, uh, I need to get drop into this space. I need to be in myself in that moment, in my breath. For, But in another way, that gentleman, when he did that, and he started to see the story in front of him. It called him out of himself to, to care in another to way. To compassion. So that kind of maybe it's the internal move as well as then allows us to see more clearly externally. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, yeah. but, but, yeah. but you have to be in that moment and make those moves. Yeah. And be sensitive. This is the moment where taking that breath and maybe trying to unpack. There's another story here. Why don't I try to show curiosity in it? Yes, which which I believe is one of the main threads of mindfulness, bringing curiosity into our own habits and non-judging, which I find the hardest, you know, it's good, it's bad, I want, I don't want. I like, should, should, I don't like, yeah. yeah. You know, it's so especially, hard. Especially as a teacher, right? Because you have those moments every day and speaking of like opportunities like opportunities endless amount of opportunities to connect and be present with your students but as a teacher we know you know as educators we know what it's like to feel bombarded and to feel overwhelmed 
and and all the moving parts right. the machinery and yeah. it just it, so how do you yeah. drop into the present moment and when you do it's always rewarding you know I mean, you always, like, always something no. to be learned in those moments yeah, yeah 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 always something to know for sure so that will bring us to our fourth seat of mindfulness so it's back to you my church oh playing cleanup on the fourth seat <laughs> no cleanup batter like, oh okay well you know it's um i mean the resonating theme here embracing that moment just noting you know these body body parts but also it's just that sensitivity awareness which are all resonating themes of course amongst those that really think deeply about mindfulness but uh, a second thing that i wrote for a seat here is um, i was thinking about that idea of stress we get so stressed, we get caught up in our kind of day-to-day in the rush and stress and stress and how do I eradicate more stress and my, you know, how do I get rid of the stress and so maybe sometimes people get enticed with mindfulness like, oh, I need to really reduce mm-hmm. the stress, this is really mm-hmm. going to be like this remedy. Um, I know I've been guilty of thinking about it like a quick fix as opposed to a stance, you know, I'm still pondering that. But I was listening to the radio, I, w- I was home, um, I live in Seattle, Washington in the U.S., um, and I had some chunks of time at home in December and in early January. So I was listening to our national public radio. And uh, I don't know exactly what the topic was because I was just was caught in traffic and just kind of thinking about maybe holiday shopping and cookies that I wanted to make and being everywhere uh, while being stuck in traffic. But this, it was a biologist and uh, the interviewer was talking about, I don't know, some development in biology. But this gentleman said this phrase that just has just stuck with me. And again, I'm taking it out of context, but I think there's relationship. He said, well, he said stress, you know, people are stressed. He said, but evolution is really um, predicated on stress. Evolution is dependent on stress. And that really caused me to pause in that moment. What is this guy talking about here? Stress. I'm thinking stress is bad. Stress is bad. But he was just talking about like when when species evolve. And again, I mean, if the gentleman is listening to this podcast, I'm so sorry for um, taking it down this route. But this is what resonated with me. But it was saying when species evolve, you know, the, the various stressors is what, you know, eventually causes, you know, their evolution in terms of development and and whatnot. So on that biological side. And I guess I'd never, ever thought about stress as actually causing evolution. Um, And then it's really caused me to think about, well, I can see stress that's just taking me nowhere. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't seem helpful. That doesn't seem fueling. Mm -hmm. But where is sort of... um, where are some of the good stresses that I could put on myself, like challenges to rise to? Um, forcing myself to, in this moment, mm-hmm. my tendency would be to do this, but maybe I'm going to kind of, and, and so put on that challenge because that's where growth will happen. Unless I do, why would I expect any kind of different result if I keep doing the mm-hmm. same thing, right? Mm-hmm. That adage is out there. And I just am just kind of contemplating that evolution the, the the role that stress plays in evolution i'm not talking frenzy stress mm-hmm. running around paralyzed stress yeah. but i'm thinking what kinds of stressors uh, could take on a role of growth i guess muscles grow in the gym when you've put them under some stress you've worked them out mm-hmm. but that's not a debilitating thing that's a growing thing 
And so I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of just playing around with so that. Is it, and can you stay mindful in, in the, at that level of stress? Like, can you just be aware that this is sort of like snuggling up to an area of discomfort and then bring in again curiosity? Therefore, growth. Yeah. You know, um, to, yeah, sorry to interrupt on that, but the order I kind of circle back around to, and certainly anybody who's uh, listening would be familiar with this. So this is, uh, but I was thinking about uh, this being human is a guest house yes. uh, from Rumi. Yeah. I, I pulled it up here on the phone. Yes, and which so is for beautiful. Any, read it, read it. Anybody who's not familiar, but this is where I'm thinking this stress. This is a common poem that is read it, in many mindfulness retreats. We've had it up on our chalkboard before. Yeah, how, go how, ahead, Mark. Yeah, so this being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes mm -hmm. because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. That's uh, attributed Rumi. to Rumi. Yeah. And I just That's thought great. there is... I read that, I'm inspired by that, but then can I in these day-to-day -day moments, the moments yeah. say, this is a guest house and this trouble, this frenzy, oh, my hectic yes. life, oh, how am I going to get this all done and I've got to get this, this, this. How can I say, welcome? Because by challenging myself in this moment where I just want this lady to get off yes. with this baby so I can get through this line, this is the moment where I can just be there, welcome it, because that's going to be a place of growth that maybe I didn't even know if I didn't embrace that moment. And the impermanence of it. And when you you think of, of moments like that, it's like, as Andy Pudicomi says from this Headspace app that we're using, is um, you imagine yourself viewing it as an observer, like from behind a tree, just looking at the feeling and observing it as an outside like you're welcoming it in but it's not you it's not but it's, it's it's a collective feeling that we all experience but again you know? it's not getting caught up in believing that this is going to be forever because we can so easily get caught up in i'm stressed this is never ending you know i'm i'm constantly going to be here and and it, it, uh, it you know uh for me whenever i get an injury because it feels forever yeah yeah so you have to call nonsense on that call nonsense impermanence and and say well this is how it is right now but it's not going to be like this all the time and it's so i wanted to use the example of like so um andy and i are runners and the minute i run and the minute i get some sort of twinge in my left knee I'm like, oh, no, you, you know, you, you panic and then say, I'm going to be out of running for six months. What am I going to do? How am I going to? So your whole, at least my whole thinking pattern is I'm done for the, my training stuff. I'm injured. There's no way I'm going to, um, you know, 
remedy this problem. So that's just the way that my mind works. But yeah. It's easy for us, even those of us who want to be, let's say, more mindful or kind of take that stance to like, it's not just slipping into, you know, slipping in and out of patterns, but also to let those moments throw us. I just think about that guest house kind of idea. Mm -hmm. I will welcome joy. I will welcome fun. I will welcome all those visitors. Am I, am I going to extend the same welcome to worry? Not because I'm trying to glorify worry, but if I'm worried, maybe there's a lesson for me to learn here by just having this visit. And worry will stay in the guest house and move from the guest house, right? Mm -hmm. And so maybe like even stress, rather than thinking, ah, I've got to throw the towel in. Maybe I should, this is this moment. Let me learn something from it. And then... Adapt and grow. Adapt and grow. Maybe that evolution piece. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But it yeah. sure is things that I'm kind of puzzling around and curious about these days. We might put that back up on the chalkboard wall because that's that is really it. a great yeah. poem. Um, so we're going to segue into the speed round now. Are we going to do? Uh, sorry to interrupt, but do we do the review of the four seats of mindfulness and then we do oh, the speed yeah. round? Yes, let's yes, do that. We so usually finish with with a review of the four seats. So um, the first seat of, of mindfulness that you shared was uh, just. Uh, this idea of thinking about mindfulness as a stance rather than I've got to do mindfulness, mm-hmm. but maybe could I start thinking about it as I need to be mindful. There's a lot of doing in that, but it's not the doing, it's the stance I take rather than just um, uh, feeling like my success is uh, attributed to certain practice. Though practice is important, practice is important as related to purpose. Right. right. How do I find my purpose of being mindful, not mm. doing mindful? <laughs> right. And the second seat of mindfulness was dropping into a body sensation and picking a certain body part and making it an intention throughout your day to just return, so for example, to your right hand or left hand or both hands and allowing yourself to practice that mindful pause with the body part excellent uh the third seat of mindfulness was the the tara brock story uh that is really all about uh staying in the present moment in order to uh embrace those wonderful moments that we might miss otherwise and the fourth seat was just playing around with the idea of reframing stress, welcoming uh, the trials and tribulations as much as welcoming the joys and the triumphs, um, and thinking about when I sit with some of the things that maybe are uncomfortable, there will be lessons for me to learn from that interaction. There's some evolution to be had, and uh, easier said than done, but it's something I'm going to aspire to. Excellent. And now we're ready for the hot seat. Yeah. Speed dating. The speed dating. Speed dating. Mark Church dating? is sitting no. in a red hot rectangular velour. Sweating over here. <laughs> sweating. It's so hot. Where's my first date? This was like an episode of The Bachelor. It's not. Okay, speed Speed round. Speed round is four, four questions that I'm going to uh, give to you. 
uh, that you will answer as succinctly as you can, giving no extra information. No, what makes me say that? Just something. Yes, yes. whatever. And, and then at the end of those four questions, you're going to choose one question that really resonated with you the most and leave the audience with one last piece of insight and wisdom. And you'll remind me of that step when we get there? Yes. Because I might not leave anybody with any advice and I'll forget that bit. Okay. Okay, so question number one, the best book you've ever read outside the world of education that is extremely meaningful to you that you can extrapolate good stuff from and apply to the work that you do in education? The best book I've ever read, don't know exactly the connection with education, though the word education is in the title, The Education of Little Tree. By, do you remember the author? Forrest Carter, it's a pseudonym, um, and there's more to his story, okay. but Forrest Carter, The so, Education of Little Tree, well worth it. Education of Little Tree. Have you read it? No, no but this isn't that, the speed read, okay, gotcha. Okay. Um, second question you're going to complete this sentence my biggest fear is my biggest fear is isolation okay number three the greatest lesson that your parents ever taught you I'm not hesitating because there aren't lessons. I'm just going to be succinct. Greatest lesson that my parents ever taught me. Kindness. Being, being kind to others matters. Okay. And not just as a social contrivance. Genuine kindness. Okay. And the last question. If somebody was to write a book about you at the end of your career... Which is still you got a you got a couple decades left in you for sure, right? Um, what would that title be? So, what would the title of the book be? Precious moments of silence, as Kath Murdoch says. <laughs> Take your time. Knowing those he shared the planet with. Ooh, love it. <laughs> okay, so we're going to return back to the four questions. Um, the first question was your favorite book, which was The Education of the Little Tree. Not of Ed, the little tree, Ed, of Ed, little tree. Okay, education. so Education of Little Tree. Uh, that's uh, um, uh, just quickly, young boy who's orphaned, he goes to live with his grandparents. His grandparents are Cherokee Indians. This is in Prohibition times in the United States. And his uh, Cherokee name, forgive me, it's not Cherokee, but the indigenous name that his grandparents gave him was Little Tree, the education of Little Tree. Okay. Um, second one was your biggest fear is isolation. Third one, uh, your, the greatest lesson your parents ever taught you was uh, to be genuinely kind. Yeah. And Think the, of others. the the title of the book would be. Uh, uh, he, he he wanted to know who he shared the planet with, mm. okay. something like that. Something like that. 
Okay, so now speak to one of those uh, questions that resonated the most and leave us with one last piece of insight and wisdom. I'll go with the last one. Okay. Uh, 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 there was a uh, there was a time where people had to. Uh, there, there was a book. Maybe this was on again on the uh, in America uh, on national public radio. Uh, there was some initiative. I don't know. Maybe that's where I heard about it. But somebody had a project called Six Word Memoirs. Mm. Write your memoir mm-hmm. in six words. You know mm-hmm. that one. Yeah. So one of my favorites in that was not what I expected, <laughs> and I love that as a memoir. <laughs> not what I expected. Not exactly what I expected. <laughs> okay, maybe there's wow something to that effect. Something to that. Not exactly what I, 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 I was expect. I yeah. don't know. I was going to be cheeky and and just kind of riff on that or kind of put that. But, but he wanted to know uh, who he shared the planet with. Um, I don't know where this will lead to advice, but why that question resonated with me. Um, I tell you what. I grew up in small town Indiana and. Um, and it was a lovely place to grow up, a very peaceful place to grow up. But, you know, if I think back, you know, everybody kind of went to the mall and went to the football games on Friday nights and went to church on Sunday. And everybody, at least in my area of Indiana, they all were white like me and thought like me. And But I also remember just really being fascinated with the World Book Encyclopedia. We had a set of those at home and it was kept in my room. And I just remember... You know, this is years before internet, but just page after page of looking at these people in the World Book Encyclopedia, this lady with these rings around their necks that made their necks really large uh, or elongated. Yeah. But yet the ceremony of that, I was just fascinated. I'm like, there are all these people out here and we're all spinning around this sun in the same way. And I don't know, early on, I just had this idea that I may leave this planet and never meet them or know mm-hmm. them. And so I feel really fortunate about, you know, kind of career choices and opportunities, but just I have this deep desire, I think, knowing others mm-hmm. and, and looking for the common threads of humanity just, it brings me a lot of joy. And I think sometimes in my busyness, because I am a person who's flying 300,000 miles a year, maybe I don't always stop and just come back to that thread of who are the people I'm sharing the planet with? And what do I know about them, really? So I can come out of my frenzy to really care. Because that's what got me started years ago. Where does that lead to piece of advice? Is that where we're going with that? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to say something else? No, no, I, was, I think that in itself is a reminder to all of us, you know, to, to just be very grateful. Imagine, you know, the, all the international educators who might be listening to this and the the good fortune they have to work in different countries and experience different cultures. And um, it's just a reminder to all of us to pay more more attention to those things. And just pay more attention. You know, I've kind of, I always think, oh, I've got this book in the works or this book in the works. A book I'd like to write, it's not a biography of me, but I'd like to write a book, The People Who Take Me Places. I'd love to... I mean, I, I've wind up in so many places where I've got a driver taking me from A to B or a flight attendant who's you know, serving me uh, you know, uh, something to drink. And I'm like, these are people who are taking me places, but 
do I ever just stop and who are you? Mm-hmm. What, what do I know about you? And mm-hmm. what could I be curious about with you? Now, that might be creepy to them, <laughs> but there's something about knowing other people's stories that I'm just leaving mm-hmm. our conversation with here this evening. Yeah. And maybe that's the advice uh, for all of us. How do we, by knowing other stories, how does that help us know our own story or write our own story? Yeah, or redefine. Redefine our yeah. story. Yes, definitely. Um, Mark, I know that you're not on Twitter, right? Are you on Twitter? Or? I'm. People kind have hashtagged me. You know, I'm not on social media. Right. But they can find your work at? Um, certainly on, on um, you know, the work I'm associated mainly with is this idea of making thinking visible. Yeah. And there is a Facebook group for that, making yeah. thinking visible. Our principal investigator is a man by the name of Dr. Ron Richard. He's also been to Calist, working with teachers in the past. Yeah. Um, and Ron Richard uh, has a lot of presence out there. So uh, it's on the professional front. I, um, I I just know that there's a lot out there, so people can Google that. Right. Um, on the personal front, though, I'm I'm just not on social media. Yeah. And well, I'll put the the link. I, to the, I apologize for yeah, that. Yeah, I know. Ish. I'll, I'll put the uh, link to uh, the, the website and, and the work in the show notes. Um, we want to thank you very much for My being on the show. Oh, what a yeah, gift. It's been really? such a treat. Um, We're hugging. We are hugging. We're hugging yeah. for 20 seconds. Keep talking. So everybody, uh, <laughs> thanks for tuning in to our Four Times Mindfulness podcast with um, Mark Church, Neil Steele, and myself. And we hope you come back to listen to future episodes. for listening to the Run Your Life podcast by Andy Bassett. To check out show notes, get some more information about Andy as well as his guests, head to our website, 21clradio.com.